<laughs> hey guys, it's Ed, and I'm coming to you live from quarantine here in Detroit. Uh, first things first, the drunk gossip team stands with the Black Lives Matter movement, and we support the protests that are happening around our country. We'll deal with with that later in Politalk. Um, but I just wanted to express that, yes, um, we we do stand with them. And I'm sure I just pissed off the two uh, conservative people who listen, um, which is right around the same amount of uh, straight guys that listen. <laughs> so <laughs> there's that. <laughs> All right. Um, that was supposed to be very serious and somehow it ended up being, becoming a joke. But um, our hearts really do go out to George Floyd's family. And it's just atrocious what is happening in our country today. Uh, but like I said, we'll tackle that in Politalk. We're going to move on. We have some big, big gossip for you today. Um, and I know I haven't done this in a while, like we kind of changed how we do things on the show, but just for this episode, I'm going to tell you guys, um, I have revamped the adult lemonade that I talked about last year. Um, so I'm a big fan of strawberry lemonade. So what I did is I got, um, a thing of strawberry lemonade, strawberry lemonade, Zveka Vodka. Hard to say that three times fast. <laughs> and strawberry rum. Um, originally, my recipe called for Malibu strawberry, but any strawberry rum will do, honestly. Um, I put in the vodka and the lemonade first. Or the, the vodka and the rum first. And then I fill up the glass the rest of the way with the lemonade. People do one or two shots of lemonade. I just pour until my heart tells me I should probably stop. Uh, I will warn you that you really can't taste alcohol, so you will get fucked up. All right. Enough with that. Um, but I am drinking while I'm recording, so things are going to get wild today, y'all. All right, so... I have been working on an exclusive story and we finally have what we feel confident are enough, um, enough proof to go ahead and, and share it with you. Last year, right around this time, actually, I shared the news that Jimmy Fallon was going to be let go from NBC's The Tonight Show. Just days later, Crazy Days and Nights ran an item trying to debunk my story. And then word got out that Jimmy Fallon indeed was on the chopping block. And CDAN actually had to retract their original story. So, um, as we all know, um, Jimmy Fallon has continued to um, host The Tonight Show, uh, my source says that it's mostly because they weren't quite sure what to do. They weren't quite sure which way the the winds were going to blow. And they learned their lesson from the Jay Leno 
and Conan O'Brien fiasco where um, they moved too fast and things just didn't go very well. So they were they were pacing and figuring things out with Jimmy Fallon's contract uh, coming up. They've decided that they needed to do something. So according to my source, and which has been verified by another person within the NBC Universal family, that Saturday Night Live sketch of Jimmy Fallon and blackface. Um, impersonating Chris Rock was actually leaked by operatives for NBC Universal. Why would they do that? I know that's what everyone's asking right now, and everyone's giving me the side eye. According to my sources, what they wanted to give an, they wanted to have a reason. They wanted to turn public opinion against Jimmy Fallon. And have every reason to terminate his contract and move forward with their new plan. And it's actually kind of working. Jimmy Fallon did face a lot of backlash in the week since it's been released and brought up again. And... He actually addressed the issue, which is why um, why I took so long to not only record the story, but um, to, uh, to verify. Um, Jimmy Fallon opened The Tonight Show, um, minus his usual uh, comedic uh, monologue on Monday, and in its place was a very somber apology for what he had done. He has said that he stands with the Black Lives Matter folks, um, that he knows that this was done in bad taste, and he never meant to bring hurt or anything to people. Now, this is, I'm really surprised at this point that this was not brought up during the Megyn Kelly controversy because Megyn Kelly was fired essentially for defending, at least publicly, for defending blackface. And the backlash that came with those comments. So, and as far as I know right now, Megyn Kelly has not spoken out in defense of or against Jimmy Fallon wearing blackface. We do know that she, through uh, Real Housewives of New York star Luann um, Delisop, I think that's how you say her last name, under the bus by saying that Countess Luann had worn blackface on air, on NBC Universal air, and she didn't think it was right that she only made comments defending it and got to keep her job, but this reality star was given a pass, basically. But she never threw Jimmy Fallon under the bus, which, um, now that I look at it, it's very interesting uh, that that didn't happen. 
of course, we all know, um, if you've read the read my book, um, The Kelly Collapse, you already know um, that the reason why she was fired was not for the blackface comments. But um, we're going to go ahead and fast forward a little and get back to Jimmy Fallon. So, with with their most profitable show now in jeopardy and Fallon losing to Stephen Colbert almost on a weekly basis, how are they planning on fixing the Tonight Show? Phase one was getting is to get rid of Jimmy Fallon. Expect this announcement uh, relatively soon. Uh, my source said that they have heard it is it could happen um, as soon as the weekend of the Fourth of July or as late as Labor Day. Um, they kind of want to dump the news uh, so that. There's not much to. There, there's not much that they can get um, slaughtered for, um, for lack of a better way of saying that. I told y'all this, this drink is mad powerful. Um, so here is where it gets really interesting. Phase two or phase B. Um, it was called both in our in our exchanges, so um, I will use them intermittently, but the next phase is to start grooming who everyone wants to be the next star of The Tonight Show, Seth Meyers. Now, I know this is packing a lot of information into one segment, but... Um, Jimmy Fallon and Seth Meyers go back. They had they were on Saturday Night Live, uh, and Lorne Michaels produces both late both NBC late night shows. Um, I'm not I'm not um, including the Lily scene because that's a whole other ballpark. <laughs> um, but. Um, so, and it's been, it's always been rumored that the two have had sort of a rivalry. Some people call it a friendly rivalry, others not so much. But, um, my source tells me that the two very rarely talk, and when they do, it is not the most pleasant thing on earth. And in fact, he says that, but my source says that it, at one point it was so bad that NBC Brass actually had to step in and ordered them to act professionally. The source didn't tell me uh, which one was acting the fool, but rather implied um, that it was Jimmy Fallon and not Seth Meyers who made things very uncomfortable. 
And all all the source would say was, keep in mind who's getting who's getting the promotion and who is being forced out the door. So, my final question to the source was, what's to stop Jimmy Fallon from launching a competing late-night talk show? Um, CBS is obviously filled. Um, and I don't see them repla- replacing Stephen Colbert or James Corden on either of those shows. And I don't see... Um, Jim, Jimmy Fallon fitting in with their brand of humor. Uh, ABC seems to be quite content to keep Jimmy Kimmel alive and Nightline as their one-two punch. Uh, and in fact, ABC is almost trying to make Jimmy Kimmel the face of the network. Um, so again, I don't foresee them replacing... Um, one Jimmy with the, with the other. Um, the only logical place would be for Jimmy Fallon to go to Fox. However, uh, Disney has bought most of Fox's assets, and Fox seems to be trying to go leaner and meaner. Um, they don't really have a daytime division. Um, I believe most of the time, most of the daytime hours are devoted to local programming, i.e., syndicated shows. Um, and I don't think that they're necessarily interested in launching a show um, that's not gonna that's not guaranteed to be a success. Of course, there are streaming options, Apple TV+, Plus, um, Netflix, which is probably the most likely home if Jimmy Fallon were to launch a new show. Uh, but my source tells me that in every contract, there's a provision where the talent is not allowed to appear on another show or host another show for at least six months after they leave. And if... Jimmy Fallon wants that big payout that comes with the end of his contract, he's going to play by their their rules. So uh, this is obviously a developing story. I will keep on top of it. I'm in constant contact with my source. So I'm going to take a break, and I'll be right back. And I'm back. All right, so for quite a while now, I've been bringing you the saga of... ABC Daytime wanting to bring back All My Children and One Life to Live. And this, like the Jimmy Fallon story, will change the landscape of the time period. Uh, meaning Jimmy Fallon leaving The Tonight Show will be changing um, nighttime, or late night, I should say, and the soaps coming back, All My Children and One Life to Live coming back, will be changing daytime. Uh, and I had a lot of people telling me that I was wrong, or I didn't know what I was talking about. Uh, some called me a hack, some told me that I should just stop, that I was a one-man army, and nobody gave a fuck about the 
and that I didn't, uh, that nobody gave a fuck about the soap operas. To which I say, right after my stories broke, the mainstream media picked up on it, and an ABC ex- daytime executive actually came out and said, yes, this is something that we're talking about. This is something that is happening. So yes, my sources are 100% right on. And so over the course of the last few days, a lot of people have noticed that Susan Lucci has been raising her profile, including um, an All My Children reunion, and then a flashback photo of her last day on the set of All My Children, which has led to more speculation that um, the soaps are about to return. And I can I am here to confirm to you that according to my source within ABC, yes, it is happening. All My Children and One Life to Live have a blinking green light. Now, for those of you who are wondering what that means, um, in this case, a blinking green light is very cast contingent uh, and and very talent contingent. Um, The producers and people all want this to happen. But they want to they want to get it right. Since um, Disney has become a big conglomerate, I shouldn't say it, it's been a big conglomerate. Now it's a giant. Um, they're they're really entering the streaming wars uh, hardcore, and so their fever and hope is that they can utilize ABC and Hulu to relaunch the shows in a big, big way. To that end, what I'm hearing is um, the the production budgets will probably be right around the same amount um, that they were when they ended in 2011 and 2012, respectively. Uh, But the biggest difference here is that uh, ABC Daytime will only be paying half of what they had been paying before, with Hulu picking up the other half. Now, in their previous life, um, All My Children and One Life to Live and General Hospital were all, they were still obviously part of the Disney family. However, uh, they when they ran on SoapNet, SoapNet didn't absorb... Uh, any of the budget, they pay the licensing fee. Uh, in this case, the the budget will be paid uh, 50 for, 50% from both um, parties, according to what my source is saying. They also are hoping to move back into the New York studios where they were housed before. Uh, before Brian Franz moved them to Los Angeles, uh, before he moved them to Los Angeles and abruptly canceled them, that has a, been a big stain on both shows for quite a while. Or on, um, excuse me, it's been a big stain on the ABC daytime reputation for quite a while. 
um, with a lot of actors being very reluctant to work with them for fear of being relocated and then fired. So, who all has to sign on for the blinking green light to become solid? According to my source, um, Susan Lucci is all but signed. Uh, She has been a very big advocate for the return of all my children. Uh, She is hoping that they can return uh, on the anniversary of when Agnes Nixon first launched All My Children back in 1970. Um, Just in time for what would have been the 51st anniversary of the show. Uh, Barring that, uh, she is hoping that um, they can find a way to honor Agnes Nixon in some way. Um, Rebecca Budig, who has been on and off General Hospital for several years now, is expected to sign on. Alicia Minshew, um, they've reached out to her, um, but no one has... Uh, she has not officially signed back on yet. Eden Regal has, um, they reach out to her, um, and she, her camp seems interested, but there's no official um, signing yet. According to my source, uh, some of the men, uh, Michael E. Knight, who has been on General Hospital for the last few months, is said to be very eager to return to the role of Tad Martin. Um, Katie McLean, who played Dixie, Tad's wife, is said to be very interested in rejoining, uh, should this go forward. Uh, Jacob Young hasn't responded quite yet. Um, He's been very busy filming TV movies, but it's expected that um, he will give Brad Bell a little bit of a notice that he's going to be uh, returning to the role of J.R. Chandler. Uh, as for the episodes that aired um, when Prospect Park was producing, I'm hearing, um, though this is not confirmed in my sources working on finding out for us, um, that generally they might be just ignoring those episodes altogether. Um, ABC Disney was already very unsatisfied with the direction that they were taking, but they had no say because the shows were licensed out. As for, um, as for, um, One Life to Live, uh, Erica Slezak has expressed an interest in returning. Um, but I haven't heard much about any of the other actors at this point. Um, my source said that she ran into Brie Williamson, who played Jessica Buchanan, and and Brie seemed interested, but it was very iffy at this point. <coughs> oh, excuse me. Uh, so, as for the talent behind the scenes, 
there is a very big push to get Ron Carlovati um, to come back to One Life to Live. He had steered the ship in, um, for quite a while, actually was credited with saving the show from cancellation a few years before the, the dual murder of the soaps. Uh, and he is really highly regarded at ABC. Um, whether or not Days of Our Lives and the Sony Pictures will let him out of his contract um, remains to be seen at this point. But my source says that for One Life to Live, that's what they really want. Um, if only one show goes forward, though, um, they're going to move forward with All My Children and keep One Life to Live in the hopper. And they are hoping that if that's the case and Ron is still willing to come back to the ABC family, um, that he would be more than happy to take over for all my children. All right, I'm going to take a break and I'll be right back. And I am back, y'all. <laughs> oh, I just made me my third drink. Three segments, three drinks. What do you think? Am I going too fast? <laughs> So, um, this one is going to be a little bit of a change of a pace, um, mostly because I'm not going to talk about something I did. <laughs> in 2018, um, for Camp NaNoWriMo in November, I wrote a book called Crazy Rich Homos, and it spent the better part of the last year and a half um, languishing between being edited and um, being edited and just kind of there. Um, and I had moved on. Uh, just before all of this, I had started writing True Crime. And that soon quickly took over um, everything I was doing. And I kept telling Will that I wanted it, I wanted to have Crazy Rich Homos published um, in time for Pride. Uh, and I didn't mention this at the top of the show because I felt it was more important to talk about Black Lives Matter. Um, but June 1st was the official kickoff for um, Pride, for Gay Pride. And so it's always been my goal to have at least one book published during the month of June that is completely LGBTQ focused. Uh, in 2018, I published um, Shape of Love, which is a boy meets girl story with a very modern twist. If you haven't read it, it's on Amazon. Uh, and I should be getting the paperback version out soon. Um, uh, last year I skipped because I was just so overwhelmed with work and whatnot. Uh, but this year I kind of got back on track thanks to quarantine and whatnot. And so I got Crazy Rich Homos edited and published. And y'all, let me tell you, this was an ordeal. So the editing of the book was fairly easy, uh, um, thanks to help from people like Will, who really is a lifesaver. <laughs> and I'm not just saying that because I know he's going to listen and um, 
yell at me if I don't. <laughs> um, no, he doesn't do that. Um, anyway, you know, having someone edit for you is very important. And Will undertook this for me. And it was just, like I said, really a godsend. But, um, Amazon, on the other hand, was just, oh, I had saved, um, the paperback version, and I went, because, okay, I don't know if you all know this, but when you go and publish through Amazon, you can't just, um, you can't put your paperback version up for pre-order or if you can I haven't figured out how to do it yet um but you like you can put your your ebook version but you can't put the paperback version up for some reason it doesn't make any sense um but I wanted to make sure that I had everything ready to go so Monday night, I went to um, publish because usually it takes overnight for them to publish. They give themselves 72 hours, but I have to give mad credit to the people at Amazon. They really do get through um, approving and getting everything ready to go um, very quickly. Um, so I went to I went to publish. And nothing I had done was saved. I was so frustrated and so irritated. So. I, I scrambled to get everything back together. And I, I did, thankfully. Um, But there were two things that had to change. My initial price point for the paperback had been six ninety nine, and I don't know if something changed within um, the Amazon um, the Amazon environment, or if there was something. <clears throat> that I was just missing, but originally the cost to, to print was only going to be somewhere in the neighborhood of $2. So at $6.99, I would have been making like a, a dollar off the paperbacks, but then it rushed up to $4.75 and I had to push the price up to at least $7.92 and that would have been breaking even. So in order for me to make, you know, some decent money, I had to up the price of the paperback to uh, $9.99. Which, for any authors, um, and for anyone listening that's not an indie author, people will spend that much money for a paperback by John Grisham or Janet Evanovich, or basically, basically any other best-selling author. But when it comes to indie authors, uh, even if they're friends or family, there's a really big pushback usually. Um, thankfully, my friends and, and loved ones didn't bulk at the price when they seen it. Uh, but I was a little bit surprised and I was a little bit 
I'm surprised because um, the book that I'm putting together with Will as the official editor um, called Pop Culture Noir was going to be priced at um, $9.99 from the get-go. So we're going to have to, um, when that when that's completed, we're, we're going to have to talk about pricing. Um, but the book launch was yesterday, on June 1st, or June 2nd, rather. And it was amazing. Everything fell into place. I got, um, again, the people at Amazon were just 100% awesome. Um... I, uh, they got the paperback um, approved and up for sale for me um, in almost, in less than 12 hours. I was so thrilled and so happy that they did that. Um, and it, it just went really well. I, my, one of my coworkers from the bad influence Ruben actually did an interview with me to help me promote the book um which I don't know how the article is doing but there have been a lot of people who have reached out to me to say that the article was wonderful and it made them actually want to read the book so yay packing that is just completely amazing and so yeah I y'all Go read Crazy Rich Homos. You can read it free on Kindle Unlimited. Um, the ebook is $3.99. Paperback is $9.99. Um, and let me know what you think. Uh, let me correct myself. I'm sorry. The ebook is $4.99. All right. But, anyways, go read it. Thank you um, for indulging me in this little. Um, promo <laughs> and and talk about Amazon and I will be right back and I'm back so former Glee star Leah Michelle is under fire right now and before anyone says anything yes I loved her uh, I thought she was very talented um, but then I started reading the gossip about her, and I kind of got turned off a little bit. Uh, for those of you who don't know, um, I'm going to give just a little bit of background. So, Leah Michelle starred on Glee as Rachel Berry. She was the breakout star by far. Uh, and seemed to have a very bright future ahead of her. Behind the scenes was a different story. Um, it is alleged that she engaged in feuds with quite a few people, including um, Ryan Murphy. But we're going to get to that in just a second. So, the first taste of controversy came when it was revealed that Leah Michelle and Corey Monteith, uh, who played Finn on the show, were not, and Leah and Corey were supposed to have been this really super cute couple outside of, um, outside of the show. 
then it started coming out that their relationship was just for their publicity of Glee. Uh, and people differ on on this. Some people say that um, Corey was actually dating one of his male co-stars. Other people say that um, Corey went along with dating Leah publicly just because he thought it was good for the show. Um, but whatever the case is, they're, um, whatever the case is, they were not a real couple, um, as she tried to appear, or tried to make it seem like they were. Alright, so, <clears throat> we have, we have that covered. And, you know, that's bad, that's really bad. But, it gets worse. So, Naya Rivera it claimed that Leah Michelle stole her boyfriend, Big Sean. Now, we're not going to get into the whole you can't steal a boyfriend thing. Um, Naya also alleged in her memoir that Leah made her time on Glee Hell and actually led to her dismissal. Um, they framed it as... It was Naya's choice to leave, uh, and Naya was like, Mm-mm, no, it was either I leave or they were going to fire me, all because uh, Leah couldn't stand that Santana was getting bigger and bigger stories and was more popular. So... Glee ended, and Leah starred in Scream Queens, um, another Ryan Murphy production, for a couple of, I think for two seasons. Um, it was set up like an anthology series, just like American Horror Story, but it was more sanitized for um, broadcast consumption. Well, Leah had hoped that Ryan... Murphy would move her over to American Horror Story. Um, that's where she really wanted to be. Uh, because that's where people were winning the Emmys. And in her mind, she was due an Emmy. Brian Murphy owed it to her to help her win an Emmy. And Ryan said, this is not the kind of show where you can be a diva. Like, you have to be professional and it, it didn't go over very well. And the two ended up engaged in a feud. Leo then went on to start in the ABC sitcom The Mayor, which lasted, I believe, 13 episodes. Um, and then was promptly canceled. And since then, she's, she's been working on her music and was a spokesperson for HelloFresh. Well, on Monday, as protests against George Floyd's murder 
by the Minnesota police uh, kept escalating. Leah uh, made a tweet in support of Black Lives Matter. And this had consequences that nobody, nobody saw coming. Her former... Her former co-star... Um, Samantha Ware uh, responded to uh, to her tweet and said LMAO remember when you made my first television gig a living hell cause I'll never forget I believe you told everyone that if you had the opportunity, you would shit in my wig, amongst other traumatic microaggressions that made me question a, a career in Hollywood. Uh, and here's where it got interesting. Um, several other uh, black Americans, black actors, who Leah Michelle worked with came forward um, and didn't necessarily... Um, share their own stories, but definitely imply that they had one, including um, Yvette, uh, Yvette Brown, who co-starred in The Mayor with Leah Michelle. Um, and all Yvette said was, I felt every one of those capital letters. Um, Alex Newell, who played Unique on Glee, um, with a gif of RuPaul looking interested. Um, Amber, Riley, Amber Riley tweeted uh, a, a gif of herself sipping tea. Uh, you know, you get the point here. Uh, Melissa uh, Bonsent, who now plays Supergirl, but who played Marley in um, who played Marley Ungly, just simply liked the post. So, I mean, this is a very eclectic, and um, just for the record, uh, obviously, uh, Melissa is not an, uh, a black American. She is white. Um, but the fact that she also liked that, I think, adds a little bit of a significant twist to this whole thing. So, Leah Michelle. Um, lost her sponsorship with HelloFresh and ended up saying this. One of the most important lessons of the last few weeks is that we need to take the time to listen and learn about other people's perspectives and any role we have played or anything we can do to help address the injustices that they face. When I tweeted the other day, it was meant to be a show of support for our friends and neighbors and community of color during this really difficult time. But the responses I've received to what I posted have made me also focus specifically on how my own behavior towards fellow cast members was perceived by them. While I don't remember ever making this specific statement and I have never judged others by the background or color of their skin, that's not really the point. What matters is that I clearly acted in ways, in, in ways which hurt other people. Whether it was my privileged position and perspective that caused me to be perceived as insensitive or inappropriate at times, or whether it was just my immaturity and just 
being unnecessarily difficult. I apologize for my behavior and for any pain in which I have caused. We all can grow and change, and I have definitely used these past several months to reflect on my own shortcomings. I am a couple of months from becoming a mother, and I know I need to keep working to better myself and take responsibility for my actions so that I can be a role model for my child and so I can pass along my lessons and mistakes so that they can learn from me. I listen to these criticisms, and I am learning, and while I am very sorry, I will be better in the future from this experience. You know, first of all, notice that there was no denial. I, and I know people are going to say, well, yeah, she kind of did. No, she said, I don't remember. I don't remember is the modern non-denial. Uh, it, it's almost like, hmm, yeah, I know they're telling the truth, but I'm not going to acknowledge it. But I'm hoping to present myself as someone who can learn and change and grow. And yes, I, I completely believe that people can learn, change, and grow. But I have to ask, why did it take this long? These complaints about Leah Michelle being a diva, um, acting inappropriately and whatnot, have been around for for quite a while. So why... Why now? Why not come out and say, you know, I was a bitch. I was a diva. I was this. I was that. You knew you were. And that's my point. You, she knew she was back then. And I have no doubt that she actually said that she would shit in uh, Miss Ware's wig. Because it just seems like she's that type of person. She thought she was somebody. And... Yeah. Um, I guess this, this segment could have also been how I fell out of love with Leah Michelle because I, I really just don't like her anymore. Um, there's very little I think she can do to change my mind outside of, you know, perhaps an outstanding performance... Um, and actually changing the way she acts um, and behaves with her co-stars. All right, I'm going to get off my high horse, and I'll be right back. And I am back. So, um, all episode we've been talking about and referring to the protest over George Floyd's murder. I know a lot of people in the media are calling it his death, um, but that's not what it was. He was murdered. He was murdered by Derek Chauvin, the Minnesota cop who pressed his knee against um, Mr. Floyd's neck. This was out-and-out out murder. And there are very few people who disagree with me on that point. Uh, and we've also been talking a little bit about the protest and the... We've also been talking about the protest and the... Um, Um, and the riots um, that have spread since his murder on Memorial Day. So, um, we're going to continue with this, um, but just through the perspective of a celebrity. Um, many celebrities have stepped up 
and not only condemned what happened, but they have tried to make a difference. Um, the cast of Brooklyn Nine-Nine um, donated, uh, I should say, I'm sorry, producers and cast of Brooklyn Nine-Nine um, donated $100,000 to people who are arrested for protesting. Um, there, I some of the other names are escaping me right now. But these are not small celebrities or like C or D list. These are A list celebrities. Um, Justin Timberlake um, is is someone who donated and got heavily criticized for his donation to helping bail out people who are arrested for protesting. Then there's Jake Paul. Now, Jake Paul is no stranger to this podcast. Uh, his fake marriage was um, talked about a lot here, and people were trying to figure out why um, he and his now ex-wife would pretend to be married. Of course, it was for attention. They're fame wars. That's what they do. Well, he's back at it again, trying to... He was trying to get attention for himself. Um, This time he was at a mall in Arizona where looting was happening. Uh, And his videographer and photographer, Andrew Blue, documented the entire thing. Or, in Andrew's case, virtually everything. And I think that's a very important key point here. Virtually everything. So... Um, when, when footage of Jake Paul at, was released um, via Instagram and other social media platforms, it went viral, but not for the reason that Jake was hoping. It went viral because uh, fans and, and other people were like, why is this multimillionaire fucking looting? And some were even pissed off when Jake cried police brutality. Allegedly, the cops sprayed him with pepper spray and pelted him with rubber bullets. There is no evidence of this. Um, For someone who made sure to get um, seen at the mall during, uh, during the looting... Uh, it's, it's strange that there was nothing to capture the police um, pepper spraying them. It's strange that no one was there um, when the alleged rubber bullets were flying at them. Uh, and it's also strange that while... The camera captured someone else kicking in a window. Jake Paul was nowhere to be seen. Many people believe that 
Jake actually was part of the looting. He denies it. Uh, he completely denies having anything to do with the looting and said that he was just there in solidarity um, with, uh, with people of color and protesting police brutality. But as many other people pointed out, he knew what was happening. He saw, just like we did, people looting and breaking into the stores. And the peaceful protest that he claimed to be at was nowhere near that mall. And uh, many people called him out for his diversion tactic. And I told him that he needed to stay in his lane. Um, his brother Logan Paul was actually one of those people who said, "Hey, my brother didn't belong there. Uh, I don't know what what he was what the, what he was doing." Um, so, YouTube has yet to issue a statement on on this, and they may not because while he is a YouTube personality, technically, I don't believe that anything. He did was posted on their platform so he may actually skate by with keeping his job um, this time uh, unless too much pressure is um, applied to Google slash YouTube and then they may have to do something to <coughs> counteract this but it's quite obvious that Jake Paul was not, he was not at that Arizona mall for, for good purposes. He was there because he thought he was going to get away with something. He thought that people were going to take his side. And unfortunately for him, it didn't happen. So... <clears throat> That's going to do it for me for today. Thank you all so much for listening, as always. Uh, I really do appreciate you. Um, my black uh, brothers and sisters out there, please stay safe. And please keep fighting the good fight. We are here with you. We are fighting with you. We are. We will do everything in our power to make life better for you and make your lives safe. And uh, coming up next is Politalk. And in Will's words, it's Politalk with more swearing. I will talk to you next time. Cheers. Hello, ladies, gentlemen, and other listeners, and welcome back to this week's episode of Politalk. We'll be taking a slight break from coronavirus news this week, which I'm sure you're all very happy about. We only have one item that's even tangentially related to the ongoing pandemic, as the bulk of this segment will focus on the protests that have erupted across the country in the wake of the death of George Floyd at the hands of the officers of the Minneapolis Police Department. Large, sustained, and often destructive protests have sprung up in nearly every major city across the United States this week, which you probably already know if you've been watching the news. 
George Floyd's death has been the primary triggering point for the raid, the protests in Minneapolis specifically, but organizers and protesters have also said that their actions are in response to a number of other recent deaths, including the murder of the jogger Ahmed Arbery in South Carolina earlier this year, as well as the death of Breonna Taylor during a no-knock police raid early in the morning. We haven't covered the latter case very deeply on Drunk Gossip, or at all if memory serves, so for those unaware of the details, Brianna Taylor was killed in the middle of the night when police raided her house without announcement, looking for a suspect who was not staying there, and had not been staying there for some time. Her boyfriend, believing that he was being robbed, grabbed a gun, and police responded by shooting dozens of rounds into the house, killing Taylor with stray fire. These protests have lasted for the better part of seven days now and generally remain peaceful during the day, but have often turned to violence at night as cities have attempted to impose curfews and police have resorted to more and more violent means in order to enforce said curfews. Protesters have responded to this increased escalation and with, to be fair, several decades of grievances with increased violence of their own. Protesters burned down a police precinct in Minneapolis and have destroyed police cars and unfriendly stores throughout the nation. President Trump has vowed to restore law and order and threatened to unleash the military on protesters. In one instance earlier this week, ordering federal police to disrupt a pre-curfew gathering outside of St. John's Church in Washington, D.C., with tear gas and rubber bullets so that he could give a speech and have a photo op with a Bible in front of the church. This has had exactly the effect you might expect, but has also drawn condemnation from a wide variety of figures, obviously most of the Democratic Party, but also Tucker Carlson and noted televangelist Pat Robertson. Now, I haven't provided many in-depth details about the protests so far because it's been remarkably difficult to get an accurate picture of what's happening during them on the ground. Official sources, mostly in including police and state officials, such as Governor Tim Waltz of Minnesota, have claimed that most of the violence in the protests is the work of outside agitators and that police have been forced to adopt harsher methods in order to deal with them. However, the reliability of official sources is very much in doubt in this case. Not only does the data on arrests blatantly contradict Tim Waltz's statement that most of the protesters arrested were outside from outside of Minnesota, which they are not. Most of the protesters in Minneapolis who've been arrested have been from the state. But the police are actively arresting and forcing journalists off the scene in order to prevent them from reporting what's going on. Admittedly, the very last part is only speculation from me. It's based on footage of police activities and arrests from reporters who have encountered police aggressions, such as Omar Jimenez of CNN, who was arrested despite complying with the officer's instructions to leave the area if he was told where to go, but also photographer Linda Tirado, who was shot in the eye, seemingly unprompted by a, rubber, by a police officer with a rubber bullet during a protest in Louisville. 
There have, of course, been infiltrators who've sought to discredit the protests or use them for their own gain. Most notably, professional fuckwit Jake Paul, who was caught on video looting a store in Arizona during the protests. But the majority of the protests appear to be directed by local citizens. And the majority of the violence appears to be in response to police escalation, i.e. sending tanks and deploying tear gas. Notably, in Flint, Michigan... The local police chief stood down most of his officers and had them march with the protesters when they were asked to do so, and as such was able to avoid the majority of the violence. Flint, despite having probably the best reason to have a violent riot out of any city in America, has avoided most of the trouble that has gripped New York, Louisville, and Minneapolis, to name a few examples. Outright violence has died down over the past few days, though protesters have, resound, have roundly ignored curfews, thus raising concerns by health experts that a new spread of COVID-19 may happen. Also, the last bit of news regarding COVID-19 that I promised to give you today. Back in April, a number of journalists managed to report on ICE, how ICE was treating inmates with COVID and attempting to contain the spread of the disease. Spoiler alert, they weren't. In response to this report, ICE has started spraying industrial-strength cleaners and disinfectants at regular intervals inside their facilities. Notably, manufacturers' warnings on the products in question, specifically HDQ Neutral, which, according to manufacturer safety guidelines, should only be used in an outdoor or well-ventilated area with prop by individuals wearing proper protection. The guards at ICE facilities reportedly are using proper protection. The inmates are not. This has caused a rash of health problems for detainees, with reports of internal bleeding and headaches and a number of other symptoms coming from those immigrants who are unfortunate enough to be held in an ICE detainment facility. So obviously great response from uh, those assholes. 10 out of 10 disband ICE and prevent anybody who worked in it from ever getting a government job ever again. That political opinion is brought to you by produce, directly by Producer Will. Well, I think that about wraps it up for today. Thank you very much for tuning in to Drunk Gossip, and I will talk to you all next week. Hopefully, the world will stop falling apart for five minutes and I can get a rest. Cheers!